Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, so before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is a global citizen, perpetual traveler, and founder of Goodbye Matrix, and an international strategist. He teaches his clients the best options for business structuring and to optimize an international life. He focuses on legal strategies for tax optimization and how you can quickly grow a fortune and how to live free while doing it. He travels to dozens of countries every year and researches the best options around the globe and writes about them on his blog. Please welcome to the show, Sergio von Fakin. Sergio, how are you, my friend? I'm fine. Thank you so much. How are you? Very well. I'm really excited to have you here. So just kind of a background for everyone before we jumped in. While I was traveling through Costa Rica, a mutual friend of ours introduced us and we hit it off very well. And we drank lots of wine together and talked uh, (laughs) expat lifestyle and digital nomadism, perpetual travelism, everything like this for days on end. So I'm super excited to get Sergio on the show to kind of share his knowledge and experience. But Sergio, why don't you take a minute before we get going and kind of explain a little bit about your backstory. How did you get into this type of lifestyle? Yeah, thanks, Miguel, that I'm here now today and um, that you give me a chance to be on your podcast. Yeah, how I came to be a perpetual traveler, 
Um, the funny thing is, you know, I started with completely something completely different. I'm from Germany originally, and um, I learned how to make wine. So I'm a, I'm a winemaker, but I'm not only learn it um, as a profession. I was also studying it. And during my studying time, I make like a, a dual uh, studying, you could say. So I was studying and also make practical things. And during my practical time, I had to visit um, different wineries around the world. So I went to Stellenbosch in South Africa, um, in Tokai wine region, Hungary, or um, Lake Neusiedl in Austria. Also in Germany, I worked at a lot of wineries. So during the time when I was um, working on those wineries and I traveled around, especially when I went to um, South Africa, um, I just uh, felt that I don't want to live anymore in Germany. So I don't really feel connected to the people there, to the culture, to the system, to the tax system to it makes you know everything is very hard there if you want to be an entrepreneur and if you want to build up something there's a lot of red tape and um, taxation all these things you know and uh, i just decided okay i want to um, step out of uh, this system so i want to leave germany i want to live as an expat and you know but my, my my first plan was that i can work as a winemaker on different wineries for example new zealand or australia um, earn their some um, money you know because they have high salaries usually in these fields and then after that i can just live for example um, and spend my money what i earned a few months during the harvest um, for example in southeast asia so a little bit like arbitrage or geo arbitrage and uh, that was my original idea but when i opted out of germany completely so i deregistered myself my residency and everything so the only thing i i have until now is there are, i think two bank accounts in germany everything else i really uh, cut off completely so i have no residency there nothing sure i have my german passport um, but this is something different <laughs> so i don't give up my my citizenship because i'm just getting a non-resident of germany so then I had, I was facing some problems, you know, I was like a digital nomad in the beginning and I wanted to earn some money um, because I had some savings. I starting my blog and um, start to writing about my new life and what I'm doing. And then I found out, okay, so maybe I do it, should do it a little bit more in a legal way. So where can I now open a bank account? Where can I open a company? Is it possible without having a residency or do I need a paper residency and so on and so on. So everything um, happened back then in I think 2016. And I started researching all these things, um, started my first company, for example, in, in, uh, in the US as an, an US LLC. And uh, that was my first company I, I registered. I was writing about that in my blog. I started opening bank accounts in Georgia and um, all these different things. I was just figuring out where I can live as a, as a tourist, as like as a perpetual tourist, you know, uh, legally. So I lived a long time also in the Philippines, for example, because there you can stay for three years, up to three years, just as uh, with a tourist visa, you always extend and pay a little bit for that. Um, but I lived most time of the year um, before pandemic uh, in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, Malaysia, uh, Philippines, and also in Georgia and, and yeah, to the border to Asia and Europe, right? And um, now I'm in Costa Rica because of a pandemic. It's uh, one of the countries where I feel more free. But this is my, my background, how I came to that what I'm doing right now and I was just writing about it and one day the people came to me and say hey Sergio I want to do the same I need help with that can you help me can you give me advice so I figured out ah, there's maybe a market and not so many people doing that especially in Germany and um, so I just uh, started focusing on that and yeah it worked out and I'm getting more and more uh, insight in, uh, deep into this um, topic and more and more people came to me the network expanded and getting bigger and uh, right now I can very easily live from that. And um, yeah, I'm very happy. We have at the moment a lot of work to do because a lot of people really want to escape um, because of the current situation around the globe. 
That's for sure. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, I was a workaholic before and was doing this nonstop. But now I actually feel like CNN does my marketing for me. I mean, it's like they're out there, you know, promoting my services. Not really. I'm kind of being tongue in cheek, but come on. I mean, everybody understands how important the work that you and I do now. And I'd say we're both probably pretty popular guys. But you mentioned something while you were talking about it that I think is really, really important is doing things in a legal manner. I mean, there's lots of people out there who are digital nomads, and that's great. I mean, I totally encourage that type of behavior, and I think it's a step in the right direction. But at some point, you're probably going to want to make things a little bit more legal. You want to get a little bit more clarity on your tax situation, you know, residencies, bank accounts, how this is done. If you're making 20 grand a year and you're just in a country for a couple of weeks or a couple of months each place, that's one thing. But for the people who are making a more substantial income, want to be doing it for a longer period of time. This is not a gap year. I mean, they want to do this for extended periods of time. I mean, putting things in place that are legal and doing it in a structured way, I think is absolutely the right way to do it. So today, what I want to discuss with you, Sergio, is kind of some of your insights from the places that you've worked in, like you mentioned Philippines and Georgia and things like this. But I also want to have a conversation with you about like what is open right now? What are the countries that people are going to? What are the programs? You know, we met and hung out in Costa Rica. You're still in Costa Rica. I'm in Brazil right now. So we're going to have a bit of a back and forth on that. So it should be a fun conversation today, I would say. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, uh, it's hard to say for sure, because it's um, constantly changing. So maybe what is right now up to date in this moment when we're recording this uh, call, maybe in two months or in one month, it's not anymore um, the case, right? So that's why I want to also encourage you as a, as a viewer, as a, um, if you listen to that here right now, just make your own research and look if it's still um, the same like we are talking right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll add to that very, very quickly. Nothing we'll be discussing today will be individual tax, legal or financial advice. But you guys know that already because I have to do this preface it all the time. So go out there, do your research. But this should be a good starting point on kind of opening your eyes to some of the locations around the world. And I'm going to try to talk about some of the places that we don't talk about every day in the newsletter at expatmoneyshow.com or in our group at expatmoneyforum.com. So hopefully some new places. But so where do you want to start off? Do you want to start off with Asia and kind of work our way east and kind of finish where we are actually located today? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, at the moment, you know, in um, Asia, it's relatively hard to enter Southeast Asia. And there's a lot of, most countries are still closed. Um, as I know, we helped a lot of clients to get into Thailand, but there's, of course, you need to make quarantine and all these things. So it's not that easy, but it's possible um, if you want to really live there or go there, for example, with a Thai um, elite visa, start with 600,000 Thai baht to invest in that. And then you get for five years a visa. Um, that's a possibility at the moment, and then you can just stay there the fi first five years in Thailand can also extend that um, if you make uh, invest more in the future. Um, then I think Cambodia is uh, relatively easy to open. I'm not sure at the moment how it is exactly how to enter, but before it was, you have to make a deposit, I think of $3,000 or something like that, and then you was able to, to enter. But most countries are usually closed at the moment, and it's very hard to enter Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia, I think it's not so much um, we can talk about. Maybe you have a country what you want to cover there. Well, I mean, Thailand, I think, is one of my favorite countries in the world. I've been there a dozen times myself. I don't even know how many times. I mean, when we left the Middle East, we looked at the elite visa. And 
honestly, for my money, it's not a great program because you're not actually, okay, you get the residency, but there's nothing that's permanent about it. Now, if you compare it to somewhere like Panama, where I did get, and I think you have your Panama permanent residency as well, it's good for life. I mean, so you you pay the $5,000 or whatever it costs you, and now you have it for the rest of your life. And I can actually lead to citizenship. In Thailand, you have to renew it. So you mentioned the program, which is five years, but they actually have a 20-year program as well. But imagine living there for 20 years and you're not entitled to citizenship. Well, first of all, they don't do dual citizenship. So you would have to renounce even if you could get it. But for me, I like to do things that are a little bit more permanent basis, even if I'm going to keep it just in my back pocket. But maybe talk to us if you have any insights on the Malaysia program, because my second home is kind of a little bit better, not a whole heck of a lot better, but it's a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, suspended, I think, at the moment um, since uh, COVID. Um, maybe they were reactivated in the past. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, with uh, MM2H, uh, you are um, you will get a social visit pass, I think, for 10 years, was it? And um, you have to prove um, some amount of money in um, foreign bank accounts. And then also you have to um, deposit some money in a, in a Malaysian bank account. I don't know. Uh, I don't know right now the numbers. I think it was like 120,000 if you were under 50, and it was like 84,000 or 87,000 if you were over the age of 50. It was something yes. like that. Exactly. Yeah. They they uh, look for for your age. So one thing what most don't know about that is um, Sarawak, and in Sarawak you get uh, if you are over 50 years old, you can get there the MM2H, and then you're entitled to live in all Malaysia. And with the other uh, one, I think West Malaysia is it, um, the other part, uh, you are not allowed to stay, for example, or live in, in Sarawak with that, with the MN2H. But um, you get there, um, you have to prove less money when you make the Sarawak um, MM2H. So you can look for that um, in the internet. And it's like a trick if you're over 50 years old to get it more easy for MM2H. Okay, interesting. And then, do you what do you think do you think they're going to open back up the my second home visa or do you think that's it do you think it's done and we shouldn't even be bothered talking about it because i hear thing conflicting things on the internet from both sides no i think um most probably they will open it again uh, we have to we have to see i mean the same also in in philippines right now they have also like a retirement visa before and now they um also I think it was like uh, if you are 35 years, you could already be uh, be retired in the Philippines, get with a retirement visa. A visa, but um, now they um, cancelled with 35 years, and only if you're over 50 years. But during this time, COVID time, they said they cancelled it completely, so it's not possible at the moment also to apply for that. So yes, we have to look how it will sort out in future. So I also have not a crystal bulb. <laughs> I hope that they will. Um, reintroduce it or reactivate it because it's it's a good it was a good um, option to stay in Southeast Asia and get a long-term let's say social visit pass but it's like also like a, a visa but what were the details from that one because I never worked in the Philippines I mean I've been to the Philippines multiple times but I've never helped any clients with it it's not been the most popular place but what were the details of the program when it was running to be honest, I don't have the real numbers now in my, my head, but um, I think it was if you was over 50 years old, you have to put uh, 20 grants, uh, 20,000 US dollar in a bank account in the Philippines. But most expats, they live in, in the Philippines like uh, as a permanent tourist, you know, as a perpetual tourist. 
So they just um, extend their visa ongoing. So every few weeks or months, they can just uh, renew the visa. And with that, you can stay there for three up to three years in the Philippines. So that's um, the most um, easygoing part. So you don't have to really uh, put any anything in the Philippines, you know, because the Philippines is not that uh, safe country, I would also say, you know, it's like a lot of uh, people say, ah, I mean, Philippines, it's uh, not so good rule of law there and uh, the government and maybe also the banks. So you have to take care of that, you know, and you really have to want to place there some money. And um, so that's why most people just stay there as a permanent tourist um, for up to three years. And after that, they just leave the country for one day and come back and can do the same. Um, sure, some expats, they, they marry a Filipina and uh, get there with that also a visa. Um, but yeah, I think um, most people, they, they didn't go with this um, retirement visa in the past. I remember a story from many years ago. Well, I was I used to do martial arts at a very high level, like long, long time ago. And I remember I was training with a guy and he was from the Philippines. And we were getting changed one time and he had a huge scar across his chest. And we we're like, oh my God, what was that? Like a shark or something? And he told me, no, he started flirting with some girl in the Philippines and her boyfriend saw and hacked him in the stomach with a machete and had to, they had to rush him to the hospital stuff. And I was like, oh my God. Like it was just, it was brutal. This horrendous scar, like right across the stomach. But yeah, I love the Philippines. Amazing people, like super, super incredible people. But it's probably not the safest country in the world, especially, you know, compared to some of the neighboring countries. Like if you go into Singapore and stuff like that is a completely different story. Safest place in the world. Well, one of the safest places in the world. So it's not to, to give all of Asia or even all of Southeast Asia a black eye. But um, yeah, you got to be a little bit more careful in some of those areas. I mean, um, I lived there for over two years, I think, or something like that, or nearly two years in the Philippines. I never had any problems. So if you're in the provinces, so I live in Palawan, and I never had any problems with the local people. Usually they really like foreigners and um, they also show you um, big respect. Sure, you should not start fighting with them or annoy them or something like that, right? And uh, you have to be, you always use common sense, especially when you're in the big cities like Manila or Cebu. You have to take care um, that you don't go to certain areas there because it's like slums, you could say. And yes, there's more crime for sure. Yeah, there's more crime. But I think usually I, I really never had any problems in the Philippines. I always felt, felt very safe. But yes, it can, you can get there in some trouble for sure. But it can happen in so many countries, you know, especially when you're in South America. There's also a lot of countries that have a lot of high crime rate, you know. Well, I'd say you know, as a general rule, most places in the world are quite safe that expats and digital nomads want to live anyways. I mean, that's just good advice for life. Don't be going out getting drunk at two o'clock in the morning and lipping off to people like it's just, it's just dumb. I mean, I've been traveling for 21 years straight. The only problem I ever had was in the south of France. I got chased, not chased, I got followed by a few French punks. I dipped into a McDonald's and I hung out at McDonald's for two hours until they got bored and left. They never touched me. They never stole anything from me, but I definitely got a, a bad vibe from them. And that was in France, you know, like proper Western Europe, but traveled all through Africa, South America, Asia, Middle East, all through these places. I've never had any other problem in 21 years. 
but you do hear certain stories come up in certain countries. You have to be a little bit more mindful of. So maybe just be a little bit more on your guard. Same with Malaysia. I've heard things. I've never had any problems in Malaysia. I've been there 20 times, something like that. And I've never had a problem. But I had friends who'd lived there full time. There was always stuff in the news. There was targeting the Chinese. My ex was Chinese. Well, my wife is Chinese, but my ex-ex was, was also Chinese. And she had a lot of problems there and her family's had problems. So you have to just be ear to the ground and a little bit mindful, I think, with any of this stuff. No, it's like um, always like that. I mean, in every country, something can happen to you. So even in the most developed uh, countries, sure, there's countries like Singapore, <laughs> there it's really safe, you know, they have very crazy um, rules. If somebody do something, you really have... Um, hard punishments. So most people don't really do uh, then something, you know, <laughs> they really think uh, 10 times if they should steal or rob you, you know, so, and also the people are usually rich there in, in, in Singapore. So, I mean, this is maybe one of the most um, safest country of the world, but same also in Georgia. Um, we, we can also talk about that um, later on, I think, uh, because uh, Georgia, I never had any problem. And for me, Georgia felt so safe. It's like uh, one of the countries where um, I would say it's one of the safest countries of the world um, where I've been so far. Amazing. Well, I want to dig into depth on Georgia, but anywhere in kind of the Southeast Asia region that you think that people should keep an eye on or any place that you're kind of helping clients to do their residency or structuring or anything in that area? For sure. Uh, Singapore can be interesting for precious metals. So if you just want to store precious metals in Singapore, Singapore is a very safe jurisdiction for that. And um, I'm also invested in a company there. And I hold myself a precious metals, gold and silver in Singapore with uh, silver bullion. That's the name of the company. Gregor Gregerson, episode 49. I'm going to take a guess, something like that. Uh, he's an awesome guy. I've been out to visit the vault a couple of times and gone out for dinner with him. Very, very smart guy. So big shout out to the, everybody at Silver Bullion. Yes. Oh, um, they are also our business partners. And uh, I also know Gregor in person. And I also have been there to their vault. And now they're expanding. They bought um, a new um, own house there, a <laughs> big building, you know, to place their own vault and everything. So they are really expanding. And um, they, it, this is a very good company. And um, so I think for that is uh, Singapore very interesting. It can be also interesting for a company setup. Um, residency is more difficult already since it um, yeah, grows so uh, much in the, in the last 50 years. It's, I mean, basically it went from a, from a third world country to a first world country. Um, the beginning was more easy to open their bank account and um, also to get the residency. Right now it's very hard uh, to open a bank account or get the residency there. Very hard or you need to do a very large minimum deposit. I mean, it's exactly. pretty similar to, uh, to Switzerland. It's like... Yeah, people come to me all the time. Can I get a Swiss bank account? Sure, no problem. I can do that for you. Minimum deposit, $1 million. I mean, no problem. If you have a million dollars And all, liquid, the, all the paperwork also. Yeah. <laughs> the but, paperwork uh, comes on top. Yeah, it uh, comes on top. But I mean, a lot of people think that they're just going to go out there and get a Swiss bank account or a Singapore bank account and drop 10 grand and just let it sit there. It's like, no, they won't Maybe that was so easy in 20 years ago, but right now it's not anymore that easy. And um, so I think um, Singapore is a very good jurisdiction if you just want to preserve your wealth or want to store precious metals. And um, because they are really, uh, it's a best, uh, one of the best countries of the world to do that next to Switzerland in Europe and Liechtenstein. And um, for having fun or living, uh, Thailand, um, Bali, Indonesia can be interesting. 
And um, yeah, Philippines can be interesting to be also their um, resident or live there long term because usually the authorities don't take care at all of you. So they have also territorial taxation system in the Philippines, for example. So it means everything what you earn outside of the Philippines is uh, basically tax free. Sure, you have to always take care of these things, but um, it's like that because they have like two tax systems there in the Philippines. Very interesting. One tax system applies to the citizens. So the citizens um, get be taxed on the worldwide income and foreigners live there. They have a territorial territory taxation system applied to them. And that means everything what is what you earn outside of the Philippines is basically tax free. But um, usually the authorities leave you completely alone in the Philippines as long as you don't do something. They have a local economy. So if you don't uh, build your own resort or your own bar or something like that. So if you don't work there and do something on your laptop or I don't know, you know, just manage your cryptocurrencies, whatever. I mean, usually they really don't take care of that. Um, but sure, you have to always be care careful with these things. But this can be a good country. Same also in, in Thailand, you know, they also don't take really care of the foreigners living there as long as they don't uh, work in the local economy, do something there and steal a job from Thai people. So then uh, they are happy that somebody is coming, spend money there and uh, yeah, live there, you know, basically. So they don't don't really take care of you. And so it can be also good uh, paper residency in these in these places, you know. Um, Cambodia, I heard also from a few people, but there's also a lot of uh, people say, you know, for me, Cambodia is too crazy. It's too underdeveloped. I don't like it so much. So it's depending what you really like. So if you like more developed countries, Singapore and Malaysia, um, I mean, Singapore is uh, high end, but Malaysia already is very developed. I really like Malaysia. It has good infrastructure, um, good quality of life. It's still very cheap. And um, then also, sure, you can live in Bali, but Bali, you have to take care. I mean, they have usually this... Um, taxation system that they tax you on um, your worldwide income but they was already oh, so saying it's a residency-based taxation yes exactly residency-based taxation and um what they was talking about that they maybe in future want to change the tax system and make it also a territorial taxation system there in indonesia uh, we have to look for that maybe in the next two or three years um, okay. well, that's happen, something to keep not. you an eye on because that's another location that I don't really help clients with, I mean, I've been to Indonesia, but I haven't been to Bali and haven't done a ton of research. Like a lot of the places that we go, because I focus mostly on Americans and Canadians, you know, where you go either South or Europe. I mean, some people, the most will go is Thailand, Malaysia, um, that kind of area. But the farther you get geographically away, people kind of, their interest goes down accordingly. So it's not that these aren't great countries, but if I don't have the people that are looking for it, then I haven't spent a lot of time. So that's interesting to keep an eye on Bali, though. Yeah, no, it's mean. I mean, uh, we have different target audience. I'm, my uh, webpage works mostly in uh, for Germans, uh, Switzerland, mm -hmm. uh, in Switzerland and in Austria, and uh, these people they like also to go there. Also, a lot of digital nomads go there to to Bali. I mean, it's not a safe a safe setup, I would say, if you live there permanently. I have a, a team member who's um, my business partner is also living there permanently in Bali. That's why uh, he can help there to get a residency. But usually, I don't I don't see that point also to to get their residency in Indonesia because it's for me it would be too risky in the end, um, because the tax uh, system is clearly residential taxation system and uh, residency based taxation and. If they want something from you, it's more easy for them, you know, than to to get something from you. And um, no, I think uh, Thailand also a lot of people, um, yeah, moved there in the past. 
Philippines is not so not so interesting for most people because it's also like a little bit crazy of a country. You know, it's not so safe. It's um, not so good developed. Uh, infrastructure is not so nice. And Malaysia, most people don't have it really on the on the radar. I have sometimes a feeling. I really like Kuala Lumpur and um, also in Borneo. I lived in Kota Kinabalu a long time, wow. a half years there, and I really I really enjoyed it. I really love Kota Kinabalu, and. Um, but yeah, it's like, um, I mean, everybody has his own, uh, his country, you know, what he likes or what he, which um, culture he wants to expose, uh, to, to be exposed to, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I get interviewed every week and I swear to God, one of the first questions people ask is like, well, what's the best country? I'm like, my God, I've been traveling for 21 years. I've been to 105 countries. I mean, I, there is no such thing. Like, first of all, there's no such thing. But I guess my only comment that I can make, and it's not really a cop-out, is that most people in their life have somewhere in their head that they're thinking, wow, that'd be amazing to live there. Like, I wonder what it would be like. They're curious. And they've probably been dreaming about it for years and years and years. Now, I don't know if you guys have told anyone, your spouse or your kids or your parents or your brother or whatever, but my guess is it's probably there. So it's like so much of the planning work that we do, it's so tailor-made on you guys. So you take a call with Sergio or with me or with someone else. That's why you need help because it's like, all right, you like uh, the tropics, but you want to learn another language, but you want the language to be important, but you want the taxes to be very low, but you want a high standard of living. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, now we can start to play with things. But it's, there's no just, oh, what's the best place in the world? I mean, it's just not possible to say. For some people, Asian culture and food and cuisine and everything is number one. Another person maybe being on Eastern Standard Time is really important. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's too hard to just say a general rule. So that's kind of why you have to look a little bit broader and then connect the dots between everything. Would you kind of agree with that? Yes, for sure. And uh, what I also found out for myself is um, what I also recommend to a lot of people is uh, if they are not sure what, what they want in life, maybe just first um, be like a digital nomad or perpetual traveler and uh, visit different countries, different cultures, um, expose yourself a little bit there. And um, yeah, I don't know, stay there maybe a half year or three months or something like that and um, feel into yourself if it's a place where you could imagine to live long term. Or not so, because I see a lot of experts, they just uh, jump from one place directly to another, let's say from US to Costa Rica. And they say, I really want to live there, but then they have never been there before, maybe only on vacation for one week or something like that. And after that, they really find out, hmm, maybe it was, it's, done, it's not really the place I want to stay. And they face then more problems and maybe they um, yeah, made already some, some things there, right? Applied for residency, invested maybe in real estate or whatever. And the more you do, in one country, more, more, the, the more you stick to it and the, the harder it gets also to get out again. So what for me, it's also my strategy at the moment is um, it was before the pandemic for sure. It was more easy. At the moment, it's more hard. Um, but I have usually two or three countries that I really like and whereas where I'm always traveling to and forth. And um, that's why I'm usually staying in Southeast Asia and in Europe. And I change between these both continents. And um, that's for me because... Uh, that's for me a very good um, strategy because I can um, get then both cultures, you know, and uh, different uh, lifestyles and quality of life also. You know, sometimes in, in Southeast Asia, it can be very basic lifestyle. You don't have good wine, you know, it's hard to get good wine. And maybe you have more adventure lifestyle because there's not so developed roads and you can make, I don't know, 
um, drive with your motorcycles through the mountains at the beach, whatever, you know, nobody really takes care of you. You feel the freedom. And then, I don't know, you come back to Italy for a few months and you can enjoy very good wine. You have good infrastructure. You have more culture of things. You know, you can go through theater, whatever, you know, it's like, um, this is what I like to have several bases around the world where I can just uh, always stay and uh, stay a few months and then continue to the other um, country. This is what I like to do. Well, and then think about this as well. You do this for a living. I do this for a living. So we probably collect residencies and bank accounts and formations because we're kind of guinea pigs. Like I use myself as a guinea pig and then I try it out and see, all right, does it work? Does it not work? How much hassle was it? I mean, it's one thing to just read about things online, but I find there's so many people who online who are talking about things who've never done it themselves. And for me, this is like, really weird. I live this life. You legitimately live this life. So don't worry if you're listening to this episode to try to go out there and do everything that we do. Like Sergio said, go get an Airbnb, spend a couple of months in a place. Do you like it? Great. All right. Now what are the next steps? Do you not like it? Cool. No problem. Try somewhere else. And I'd say it's the same advice with your possessions back home, wherever you are. Don't worry about selling every single thing you have and getting rid of your vehicle and putting everything in storage. I mean, just find you know something a little bit softer. Get a friend to look after the place or sublet it or short-term rental it on Airbnb or get your neighbor to come over and watch your plants and just keep the place open. Go to Costa Rica for a month, for two months. It's very different for a couple of months opposed to four days at a resort or something like that. So don't feel like you guys have to go all in. I mean, you're going to build skills and you're going to learn things about yourself on what works for you, what fits for you, right? Exactly. That's very important that you say that don't go uh, go all in because it's the same also for investment. You know, don't go uh, all in. It's a lot of risk, you know, and um, you don't have to be constantly in Costa Rica, for example. I mean, maybe the most beautiful months are in Costa Rica, maybe January, February, March, and you can really enjoy it here. Then um, soon the rain season will start and maybe it's better to just go to Europe then, you know, and enjoy spring there or uh, whatever. So you can have uh, different uh, things in your life. You know, you don't have to restrict yourself 100% only this, you know, and uh, I think this is a very important point you said. Yeah, right now, Panama is super, super, super hot. But where am I? I'm in Brazil. I'm in the south of Brazil on a little island. And I've got my jumper on. Like, I mean, I have to wear a sweater every day because it's cool. All right, it's not Canada cold where I'm from, but it's still, it's quite fresh here. And actually, it's nice for me for a change. And it's not that I don't believe in Panama or it's not that I don't like Panama. I love Panama. I kept my house there. I kept everything there. But at the moment, you know, I'm doing something a little bit different. So we're four months in Brazil just doing a little bit of arbitrage on the climate as well. Brazil is open. Well, Panama's open, but Brazil's open. Costa Rica's open. We'll, we'll talk about some more about this. But let's, let's bring things back, but let's move a little bit geographically. So we talked kind of about the hotspots in Southeast Asia, but what about in Eastern Europe? You mentioned Georgia. Estonia is on a lot of people's radar. Montenegro comes up in conversations. What's your experience in Eastern Europe for kind of our type of lifestyle? Yeah. So Estonia, I haven't been yet and Montenegro also not. So I cannot talk about that. Um, I always wanted to visit uh, Montenegro. 
Um, I will do that in future for sure. Um, at the moment, I cannot talk about that, unfortunately. But uh, Georgia, I have my flat also in Georgia. Um, I have a part of our team is in Georgia or uh, assistance. And we help also to remotely open bank accounts there and um, get residency in these things. So Georgia is a very interesting country out of my perspective. Most people don't have it on the radar at all. And um, it's a post-Soviet uh, country. And at the moment, sure, they are really struggling because of the pandemic. And um, they're looking for every uh, cent, or the government is looking for every cent they can uh, get, you know, or eventually get. So maybe if um, some of our clients in the past set up their company, we hear already from a few clients that they have um, that the IRS is coming or the revenue service and checking if everything is good and so on and so on. So it's not that nice, but Georgia, after the Soviet Union collapsed, there uh, was really a nasty civil, civil war. And it was completely crazy there, a lot of crime and a lot of corruption. And uh, after that, uh, the government changed uh, with Saakashvili and he really uh, cleaned up everything. So he really confiscated all the wealth of all these corrupt people, of uh, corrupt politicians, corrupt police officers and so on and so on. And he really set up an effective you know, system there from the, for the government. For example, what is interesting when you when you visited uh, when you visit Georgia, you will see that that all the police um, uh, stations and also the government um, facilities or buildings they are completely um, usually with um, glass. So they are complete. You can look always inside, and they do that to. Or they made it in the past to say we should see what you are doing inside, so there will be no corruption anymore. So this is like. Uh, why they why they did that and my wife she's from from russia but she's also georgian citizen so i met my wife from in, in georgia and belisi so she taught me a lot of stories also about this country i mean it's a very poor country the people are very poor they don't have a big income so it's not a nice country to to work yourself physically in but um i mean you can have very low uh, cost of living and the quality of life is very high so they have excellent wine in georgia uh, they say the history uh, when you when you study the history of wine they say Wine was um, first time made in, in Georgia or wine is coming from Georgia, right? So you have really excellent red and white wines uh, there in this country, very cheap. You have very good restaurants in the capital city and you can really sit in, a, in the restaurant and uh, in one of the best restaurants, for example, I love Stamba Cafe. It's in the middle of um, Belisi and it's um, really uh, upper class. It's very nice, very good food, so amazingly tasty and uh, you pay usually 15 I don't know, maybe $20 for a meal. And then you can buy a whole bottle of wine, one of the best bottle of wine for $10 or for $20 a bottle, you know, and then you can just uh, sit there in the restaurant and enjoy. So this is like um, very low cost of living and you have a high quality of life. It's very safe. It's very effective there, everything. So I have always a story because my, my wife, she's Georgian citizen and Russian citizen, and she has a, a child and um, from a child, the passport expired, you know, both. So she had to um, renew the Georgian passport and the Russian passport, you know, and in Russia, it was so crazy to get the extension during the pandemic now of there or get a, get a new uh, passport, you know, for, for, for her son. And um, we basically ended up with paying somebody, you know, to, to do it, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of corruption still in, in, in Russia. And in, in uh, Georgia, it was so effective because, you know, once you're a citizen or a resident of uh, Georgia, you get like your ID card. You can make online Zoom calls with notaries like you also know maybe from, from the US, but it's not like, let's say it's normal in Europe. It's not normal in Europe. You know, when you're in Germany, also everything you have to be in person there. You cannot make something online. Maybe in, in, in a few years it will be possible, but it's so 
uneffective, everything, and they really don't use the new technology. In Georgia, you, you just make an appointment with a notary, you show your ID or your, that you have a, your passport from Georgia, they will just make the contract, read it uh, with you, you will just sign it online, you know, and they will just uh, notarize it, that's it. And then she was able to um, apply remotely for the, for the passport of your son. After two weeks, it was issued and ready to go. You know, he had his Georgian passport. So that shows me how fast and easy and effective this system there is. And it's a lot of things. Uh, it's uh, on the ease of doing business in DC around the world. It's, I think, place number seven or something like that, uh, Republic of Georgia. Uh, so you can very easily and um, quickly open companies there, for example, an LLC. And it takes, uh, if you are fast track, I think only one day. So then it will be uh, completely everything done, even with bank account. And, um, but I said, you know, for most people, it's not interesting to have their company or something like that. Um, it can be interesting to have a personal bank account there, you know, um, because it's very easy still to open their personal bank account. And until 2023, they didn't opt in yet for the common reporting standard. So it will be not reported for the money what is in there in the bank account. They also not ask you for a residency or something like that. If you open a bank account, they just um, want to see your passport. Um, for U.S. citizens, it's more hard to get their an account. And we're not helping uh, U.S. Uh, citizens or residents uh, to get an, a bank account in, in Georgia. But everybody else, is, it's usually very easy to open a, ba a bank account, just show your passport and uh, make a power of attorney, uh, apostolize for sure everything. Then you can very easily open a bank account remotely, personal bank account, uh, not a corporate bank account. Corporate bank account is not possible anymore, only for local companies there, what's registered in Georgia. And, but personal bank account, very easy. And um, yeah, they have a quite good banking system, everything online uh, with an application on your phone, everything in English. Um, I never had any problem, I have my personal banker, so they have like priority banking and private banking. You know, the Bank of Georgia Wealth, they offer you private banking where you really have real private banking and they want that you invest, I think, minimum or hold in your bank account in Georgia, but Bank of Georgia then uh, 500,000 Georgian Lari. I think it's around about 150,000 euro. And um, then you get a private banking account with Bank of Georgia Wealth. And um, the other uh, part is, for example, from TBC Bank, the uh, TBC Concept, uh, before it was uh, TBC status. And then there's also the solo bank. And they, especially with TBC bank, they don't want to have a minimum deposit and you get there like a um, priority banking. So you have your personal banker, you can communicate with a personal banker via WhatsApp and say, please transfer this amount of money to this person. And then they will send you an email. You just have to confirm and they will make the transfer. So this is very easy going. And um, I had last year a problem. I had I lost my account password. So I had to... Um, renew everything and uh, they, they called me via Zoom also and uh, I showed my passport, said some personal details for me and uh, then they present my account, you know, I have access again to my account. So it was straightforward and very easy. So this is a good thing to have their own personal bank account in Georgia. Well, absolutely. That tailored service is so, so important. Something that I think North Americans are not used to whatsoever, but in a lot of these quote unquote developing countries, actually if you have a little bit of money behind you, becomes actually a standard service, having a private banker that you can work with. And I mean, you don't have to have millions of dollars. You can just have a, a modest amount in there. But when problems arise, the solutions can become so much faster to deal with. And they really work with you to, to get these things done, which I really appreciate. Now, quick question about the Georgia banking. I have heard that you can get quite good interest rates on the Georgian banks. 
Have you seen this? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, still possible, especially in um, US dollar deposits. You can still get, I don't know the exact interest rates right now, to be honest, um, but uh, they have um, options there with a um, certificate of deposits um, that you can uh, make there. And I think uh, one of our clients uh, with the Bank of Georgia Wealth, he had in the past, like uh, he got 5% for his US dollar deposit for three years. He had to deposit it there for three years and a certificate of deposit. And then he was able to negotiate it to 5%. So that's a lot. And then also there's no withholding tax on that in Georgia. So sure, you have to look where to tax it, where's your personal tax residency, where you're a tax resident. And if you have to pay your interest income, if you have to pay tax in your home country with that, where you have your personal tax residency. But in Georgia, they don't have their withholding tax on um, on interest you, you receive on a Georgian bank account. That's very cool. So it's already you save their withholding tax and then you have just have to look where you have to pay your personal tax, where's your personal um, yeah, tax residency. And um, this is possible. And also they have in the TBC account, I don't know how high is it, but I get every month in, um, in for, for US dollar I just hold in my current account, I get also an, uh, some interest. So they have that maybe 1% or something like that on the holdings, but you just have in the, in the current account. and. It get very crazy with the interest rate in Georgian Lari, but I don't really recommend that to hold Georgian Lari because it's so volatile. It's so um, devalued over the last, since the pandemic, it developed so much. Mm. So, you know, what, what does it, uh, it will not help you to earn, let's say 10% interest rate per, per year, but if in, this, if in the same time, currency devalues about 30%, I mean, you make 20% net loss, right? So, I mean, it makes no sense at all. I think the same thing with Egypt. Egypt does like 10% or 12% interest rates, but it has to be held in Egyptian pounds. And then it's like, well, I mean, I don't think that I want to hold, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in Egyptian pounds and just hope that that, that currency is going to stack up well against other currencies. So yeah, you definitely have to look at what, uh, what type of currency it's held in, that's for sure. What is a good thing in Georgia that you have a multi-currency account? So you hold, you get your standard, you get a US dollar, euro, and Georgian Lari. So this is the three main currencies they always directly open an account with. I think Solobank also with British Pound. And um, you can just deposit your euros, for example, US dollars, and it will be just hold and then in this currency, you know, they will not exchange it. And if you are lucky, they have their interest on that, perfect. But you don't have to be exposed to Georgian Lari. So there's no need to hold Georgian Lari. Uh, that's a good point, I think, to say. Yeah, then there's for sure other countries like Turkey. It's also relatively easy to open their account. Once you have a tax number in Turkey, everybody can apply online a tax number, you know, even if you don't live there, to open a bank account in Turkey. But I mean, this jurisdiction is not that stable. They still pay you a lot of uh, interest also in US dollar. But I mean, um, maybe tomorrow the whole bank's getting bankrupt there and the Turkish lira also collapsed completely, you know. So it's like you have to take care with your with the banking. I think it's better or safer at the moment to invest in cryptocurrencies to hold a stable coin and get there some interest, you know, on that than to go to a Turkish bank and hold there uh, some US dollar to get I don't know a few, I don't know three percent interest or something like that. I think it's too risky. <laughs> I think Turkey has a really good citizenship by investment program at the moment. You know, it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in real estate. We help people do this. 
And the legal fees are cheap, cheap, cheap. I mean, like 10 grand, 15 grand, and you get the whole family. You buy the property, it's yours. It doesn't have to be a government approved property. So you can actually go out there and shop for places that regular Turkish people are going to be shopping for. And then you can, you know, have it next to the hospital or next to the university and rent it out to local people. It doesn't have to be rented out to a foreigner in, you know, a high wall gated community or anything like this, where you're paying these exorbitant prices. So, I mean, Turkey has some good things and it doesn't, it has some maybe not so good things. So it's kind of, you know, mix and match on how you build this lifestyle, how you put it all together. Exactly. And this is also what people have to understand or you as a, here as a, um, part of our conversation, it's like, you know, every country has something special to offer or most countries and you can just pick that, right? I mean, why I should, um, I don't know, have a bank account in Turkey if I, if it's just like to have, to live there as a resident, you know, as a, uh, if I'm, if I'm retired and I want to live at a Turkish, um, Riviera, for example, I mean, it's much better to just live there and don't have a bank account. Maybe have your bank account in Georgia or in Singapore, if you can afford that or some other jurisdiction. And, uh, you know, so you pick out of every country the best uh, for yourself, for your personal setup. And I lived, you know, before I came to Costa Rica, I lived in, in Turkey um, nearly also, I think four months was it, or nearly half year. And uh, we lived there near, um, it's, uh, the name is Kalkan. It's a little village. Uh, it's near the Turkish Rivera also, it's on the coast. So it was very nice to live there. They have uh, very cheap food uh, and a lot of things you can you can choose from in the supermarket. You know, it's everything very cheap. They have good quality there. Yeah, it's a Mediterranean lifestyle. It's nice, but permanently I also don't want to live there, to be honest. It's very easy to get there also a residency. Um, I have also my Turkish ID card. <laughs> so, and um, so, yeah, you can just live there as a, as a tourist for one year then and can always extend that, you know, it's possible. Yeah, Turkey can be also a nice jurisdiction in Eastern Europe to just live some time per year, you know, especially at the coast. I've heard because European borders are closed right now, a lot of people are coming in through Turkey. So if the airports are are closed in France or in Germany or these places to foreigners, a lot of people are coming in through Turkey and using that kind of as a back door. So I've had some subscribers who have messaged me who are perpetual travelers who have done this. So, I mean, that's another benefit to use Turkey. But if you're not in this space, if you don't, you know, frequent these types of circles, who would have thought that that would just be an excellent opportunity for Turkey? <laughs> No, no, sure. I mean, uh, Turkey, a lot of people don't have a, on the radar, but it's like an international hub. Uh, if you look for Istanbul for the airport, you can fly from Istanbul nearly everywhere around the world. So it's very good. Uh, it's uh, very good for connecting flights, the same like Dubai. Yeah, I think Turkish Airlines might even be considered a five-star airline. Like it's it's pretty high class. And I mean, they have business class, they have everything. It's not a budget airline by any means. And the, the airport is very nice in Istanbul. I really like it. They have very good launches there. And oh, it's really excellent. It's, it's nice. I just remembered a funny story. So, okay, so I've been to Istanbul multiple times. And one of the times that I went there, we went to the, the souk, the Medina, and we were shopping for all of this stuff. Oh, my God, I haven't thought about this story for so long. Anyways, my father loves antiques, like collects antiques. So we were at the souk, and I bought this... 100 year old musket okay like gun handgun but from from 100 years ago yeah and wrapped it up you know wrapped it in newspaper and everything like that and had it in my suitcase and then we traveled to Cappadocia and we traveled all over Turkey and totally forgot about it 
And then we went back to Istanbul to fly out and they actually scan your bags right at the, as soon as you go into the airport. And then all these alarms, oh my God, all these alarms started going off and all these police officers started running over and were like, like hands on their gun. And like, there was like probably like five or six guys there and they pulled me aside. They had no idea what was going on. So they opened my bag because they thought that I was basically transporting weapons. And it's this literally 100 year old musket. It's all broken. The wood is like half rotten and stuff like that. Clearly does not fire anymore. They all had a good laugh at me after that. But yeah, don't don't transport guns through Istanbul. Crap. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, one of the countries that I brought up earlier was Montenegro. So just a very quick point on Montenegro. It really came on my radar because they've opened up a citizenship by investment program. And it's quite an interesting system. So they've combined the real estate aspect and the no donation aspect together. So it's about a hundred thousand dollar, hundred thousand euro investment as a donation, and then between two hundred and fifty thousand and three hundred and fifty thousand into real estate, depending on where in the country you get it. But the really interesting story about Montenegro is that right now they're not part of the European Union, but they've put in their ticket to become part of the European Union. So when that happens in what we expect to be five years from now, you'll now have visa-free travel to the EU. So you can go all through the Schengen zone and everything like that for basically an investment of anywhere from 350 to 450,000 euros total. I mean, the comparable European citizenships for that are like Malta, which are a million. I mean, okay, Malta has a residency program, but that residency program doesn't lead to citizenship. This is a straight citizenship. So what happens in five years? Well, certainly the price of this CBI, Citizenship by Investment Program, is going to go up. So I have a lot of people right now who are interested in it and learning more about it, you know, if you guys are interested, I mean, reach out to me at expatmoneyshow.com and ask me. I'll get you some more details. But that's a pretty interesting program to keep an eye on as well. So what are some other countries in Eastern Europe from your side that you have seen that people should keep an eye on or maybe has something special about them? So I really love Budapest and Hungary because my ex-girlfriend, she's uh, from Hungary. And I also worked, as I said in the beginning, as a winemaker in the Tokai wine region in Hungary. So um, Budapest is for me a very nice city and it's um, close to Vienna. And um, so you can very easily go by train back to Vienna and enjoy their amazing uh, lifestyle, you know. Yeah, Hungary, it's um, very quite interesting. I really like this, this country. I like the culture there. I like the people. And uh, Budapest has a, f a special flair. It's young. You can make party. And um, so I really like to, um, one time per year, usually go to, to Budapest um, once I visit um, Vienna. I usually go also to Budapest and fly them from there to Georgia. <laughs> it was in the past my, my route. I first go to Vienna, then to Budapest, and from Budapest then fly to Georgia. No, it's a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice country. I really enjoy it. And also relatively safe, or it's safe there. I never had any problems in, in Hungary. And um, it's quite... It's not too expensive. It's okay. It's uh, I mean, Budapest is from the accommodation uh, more expensive already, but uh, usually your cost of living in Hungary are quite low. So compared to, to Vienna, for example. I've heard some people do some structuring for the business out of Hungary and that there's supposed to be certain tax advantages. Have you worked through that at all with anyone? 
So we was looking for that in the past. I mean, uh, Hungary has the lowest corporate tax, uh, tax rate in uh, Europe, I think, with 9%. So it can be interesting once you live, for example, in um, Austria, you're a resident there, a tax resident, you will just open up a company, KFT is, or KFT, um, is the name. It's like something like an LLC. And so then they just set up an office in, in Hungary, for example, in Schopron. It's near, close to the border. And then they can always travel from Vienna every day to the office, work from there, that they have their legal um, structuring there, that everything is there. Then they can just enjoy this low yeah, corporate tax rate of 9% of uh, Hungary. That's a possibility if you're living in Austria. That can be an option. Amazing, amazing. So let's move geographically again. Let's go to the Americas. Let's go back to, or let's go to Latin America. You're in Costa Rica right now. Can you talk to us a little bit about the residency programs there? I know you've, you've done a lot of research on it and are probably going through it yourself at the moment. Yes, exactly. So um, before COVID, I never really had uh, Costa Rica on my radar. And um, then I stayed, first we was in the Philippines, we stuck there. After that, we escaped the Philippines because they are completely crazy of all these measurements and rules about COVID. So we really don't want to continue that. Uh, then we went to Turkey once it was open. There was a time then, uh, I think in the summer, then you can just enter without a test and everything. So we was just flying from Manila to Istanbul. Then we stayed there in Istanbul, also applied for a short-term residency. As I told you already, uh, that we can just stay legally there a long time because we were thinking maybe this is now the place where we can just escape for some time. Yeah. And uh, then also Turkey get crazy after a few months. So we just said, okay, we really also don't want to, to have that again in our life because we had already crazy lockdown and rules in Philippines. And uh, it was really very bad for us um, to have this lifestyle there during that time. And um, then we just uh, looked up some options. And then there's, uh, at the moment, for sure, it's um, very easy to enter Tanzania, Mexico, and um, Costa Rica without test, without quarantine. And uh, Tanzania was very hard for us to get there, stay there long term. So we didn't saw any uh, possibility to get a legal residency or something like that, or to stay long term as a tourist. Uh, Mexico is a possibility to stay there. Uh, most um, citizenships, they get to six months. Um, so you can just stay there six months and even uh, just stay illegally in the country. In the end, when you leave, you just uh, pay some uh, money or you can make a visa run, you know, go somewhere else and come back and you get another six months. So right now, a lot of people are staying in Playa del Carmen. But then we heard that a lot of um, that the customs in Mexico, especially for Russian citizens, they are very, um, when you come from Istanbul, because that was the hub, they all fly from Istanbul to Playa del Carmen and uh, Cancun. Um, usually they, they tend to, to pick out some Russians and they just uh, deny enter the country. So we said, okay, it's a little bit too risky for us. We don't want that because we have a little son of my wife with us and we don't want to get there any problems. And then we found out about Costa Rica and they said, okay, let's go to Costa Rica. So we booked our flight, came here. So we just got a 90-day visa on arrival here. So we can stay as a tourist for 90 days. But during that time, uh, we already applied with a lawyer here in San Jose for the residency, for the Rentista residency is the name. And uh, Rentista, though, they have different types of residency programs depending how old you are, how much net worth you have. Um, if you want to, for example, invest here in the local economy, if you want to own real estate, you can do that, right? You can buy for 200,000 uh, real estate and then you get also an investment uh, visa here. Or this Rentista visa is just uh, that you have to prove 60,000 US dollar. 
in a bank account around the world. It doesn't have to be necessarily in Costa Rica. But the problem is that the immigration want to get a special paper from you from the bank that will certify that uh, you have this, um, this money in the, in the account locked up for two years and that you will get every month 2,500 US dollar from this money um, to your Costa Rican personal bank account. So that will be transferred every month. So after 24 months, uh, after two years, it's 60,000 US dollar then. Uh, if you transfer every month, $2,500. And this paper of immigration is so bad written that nearly no bank want to uh, sign that, you know. <laughs> and that's why we was uh, talking uh, because I have very um, strong ties to Bank of Georgia Wealth in, in Georgia. And I said, you know, we really need that uh, paper. Can you sign that? And then it was like, yeah, we do it in the beginning. And then I said, they go more deep into that, go to the, uh, set, but there's uh, some point we cannot write like that. We want to add like this, you know, and then I said, when you add something or if you change something, they will not accept it here, you know, of immigration. So we are not allowed to change that. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know me already a long time. And so, you know, maybe you can just certify that and just undersign it, uh, sign it because we just need it, you know, in the end for the immigration. But yeah, they um, said, no, we cannot do that. So then it's very hard to find a bank. If you have a very strong ties to your bank and they know you for long, for a long time and you're a long time client, maybe they will write or um, give you this paper. But most banks are really picky with that and they don't want it. That reminds me so much of Costa Rica getting in on the insurance. I mean, I have million dollar insurance, platinum level coverage with my international insurance. I spent a lot of money on it and it wasn't accepted in Costa Rica. I had to go out there and get separate insurance because they needed one line in there that if I got sick from COVID, that the insurance would pay for my hotel, my stay there. And I'm like, and they only needed $50,000 worth of coverage on the medical side. I'm like, I am very well to do. I have a million dollars of coverage on top of that. I can afford to put myself up if my flight gets delayed by a week because I'm sick or something like that from COVID. And it was just like, it was so silly. But I swear they do these weird, quirky little things. They say that, oh, you can use any insurance. They say that you can use any bank, but they don't really mean it. They've kind of disqualified all other ones so that you have to use their program. So bizarre. <laughs> yes, it's completely crazy. Uh, we have the same. So because when you use a local insurance here, it's crazy expensive, you know? I mean, there's no point to pay that, you know? I think every day, $10 or something like that. And uh, per person, and if you, let's say you are a three-head family, and, uh, you know, I don't know, you have to pay this amount of money for then for, for three months because you want to stay here three months. It's crazy, you know, it's uh, so expensive. So we found a solution. So everybody who wants to come to Costa Rica, um, we use the insurance called Seven Corners. And Seven Corners, they also insure non-US uh, citizens or non-US non residents. Uh, that was uh, for us the most important because you can use an outside insurance outside of Costa Rica, but they have to certify these special things that they pay, I don't know, for your accommodation or something like that once you get COVID or whatever. And um, they even insure non-US non residents and they write it, they give you a special letter where it's written, you know, that they will cover, I don't know, so much for your um, accommodation if you get ill, blah, blah, blah. And you can put a high deductible on that up to 5,000 US dollar. And the higher yeah, the... That's what I did on mine. <laughs> yes. So if there's a very high uh, deductible, I don't know, in the end we paid for us as a family for three months uh, under $200, I think $150. I, cannot, I don't have a real number again, but in my mind, but it was pretty cheap. 
And uh, with both yeah, we did the exact same thing because I looked at it and went, okay, if I actually get sick, then I have my platinum coverage with my normal expat insurance, which I hold 365 days a year. I never let that lapse. So I actually don't need this insurance. I only need the piece of paper to enter the country. So I set the deductible at $5,000 for a $50,000 plan. I was like, this is ridiculous. And yeah, we were family of four coming in and it was cheap, 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 cheap. Actually, I talk a lot about this in I think it's episode 131 where I describe uh, entering into Costa Rica. So you guys should go and listen to that. Go back in the episodes and go and listen to how to enter the country with your health declaration and all of this type of stuff. It's pretty, pretty wild. But yeah, they are they are very picky with uh, um, you know with these things. They want to have exactly uh, stated something on a paper. You know what's completely crazy sometimes you think why you need that uh, it makes no sense at all but yeah that's costa rica so they are not easy regarding the, the, the residency process and these things it takes a long time so if you apply here for residency it can take up to a year you know depending um, how fast the authorities are and so on and so on how good is your lawyer you're working with and to come back not to residency so you need this, this special paper from from your bank so usually they don't give it to you so You end up with opening a bank account here in Costa Rica, a personal bank account. You have to deposit there with 60,000 US dollar, put it in a, in a term deposit for two years with the point that every month they will um, send you $2,500 in, in your current account so you can use it. And so every month you get the payment of $2,500 US dollar in your, in your current account. And uh, these banks here, they will write this crazy paper for the immigration, you know, and with that, then sure, there's a few other documents you need, like birth certificate, police record, marriage certificate, depending, you know, where you're coming from and so on and so on, that says uh, the lawyer to you, but it's e pretty easy to get these papers. Um, the, the, the most or the biggest problem most people have, I think, is with this bank, uh, with this bank deposit, if they go with this rentista. Uh, visa. And yeah, once uh, you have all these things together, um, you can apply. Once you apply, um, you can stay legally in the country. You don't have to leave it. And this is our case now. So it's already, we applied already. So we can just uh, stay here um, until we have to go in person to the immigration because one day they say to us, ah, yeah, you have to come to the immigration, but it can take a few months. So that's why they say, you know, you don't have to leave the country. You just wait until you have an appointment. Then you go there, then I, I don't know yet what exactly we have to do, but most probably we have to sign some things. I think we have to give also our finger, fingerprints and uh, give all the papers. And um, then it takes again some weeks or months until they approve that. Yeah, And uh, once they approve it, you get for two years a residency permit in Costa Rica. After these two years, you have to prove that every month there was coming 2,500 US dollar in your bank account, in your bank account in Costa Rica, right? And when you can prove that, then they will extend it for another two years. So it means then you have like four years of residency uh, together combined. But after three years, you can apply already for permanent residency. So after uh, the third year, you can then already apply for that and you can become a permanent resident. So I'll do Panama next because I think that it's such stark contrast on the Panama residency to Costa Rica. Because, I mean, we're talking about neighboring countries, a lot of similarities between the countries. And you think, oh, $60,000 in a bank account, that's not so bad, I can handle that. But actually the residency process is so arduous. It's so long and drawn out. Now compare that into Panama, where it's like, you, you know, okay, you need to engage us first and we need to organize the documents in advance, like all these notarized documents, proof of income, things like that. 
but you come to the country for a week, we go down to immigration, we open a bank account with you in person, we've already formed a company for you, and you, we use those as the two strong ties to the country. Well, you get a temporary residence on basically day one, but your permanent residency is always like 100% approved, and it comes within three months. So you basically just come back down, get a couple more photos taken, and you pick up your permanent residency. And now it's yours for life. You only need to keep it active. You need to visit the country one day every two years. And we only need $5,000 of bank account, not 60,000. The legal fees are like 4,000, 5,000. And with, with 5,000, you can just um, take it out of a bank directly, right? After you get this paper and pay with a lawyer with that. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's hilarious. I mean, you don't need to do this two years and have this paid out in this certain amount. And you can live in the country full time and it's territorial tax system. And it's so beautiful. So it's like we help people with Costa Rica. But that's if it's like if you want Costa Rica, if it's specifically Costa Rica, if you're just looking for another visa to have or a residency, I mean, let's do Panama. It's easy peasy. It's much it more easy. Yeah. If you exactly. just need a paper residency or something like that, it's much better to have the Panamanian residency. And also it's more tax friendly, to be honest, you know, because there's very clear once your client is out of the, outside of a country, that means it's foreign income. So Panama really is clear about that. And um, in other territorial taxation countries, they always look where does the source coming from or where did you do um, this uh, business, you know? So if you do it, for example, inside Costa Rica or in Georgia or something, they can say, yeah, but you sourced this type of uh, service inside the country. So it's not any more foreign income, you know? So you have to tax that, right? So um, Panama is there much more clear and um, also more easygoing. So it was also our plan to go to, to Panama At the moment, uh, we just wait until everything relaxed because I know in Panama, there was one of the strongest lockdowns of the world. So that's why we decided now with Costa Rica. And, you know, to be honest, I totally um, agree with you. I would not uh, do that again, to be honest, here in Costa Rica. And it was not on my radar to do that, to be honest. It's just because COVID came up, this pandemic, all this craziness. I need just now a, a safe place for my family that we can just with our little son stay here safe and he don't have to make all these crazy uh, rules or follow all these things because I think it's for the kids, it's much more harder than us. I mean, we just say, okay, maybe test me and do that or whatever, maybe go quarantine, but explain a five-year-old child, we have to now stay here in a little room for two weeks. We have to be, I don't know, sometimes in some countries you have to be uh, three times be tested or something like that during the time, even, you know, when you're in Thailand, I think they test you two times during the quarantine process. And it's crazy, you know, and then you, you cannot do anything. And I think for, for little kids, it's much more difficult, all these things, than for us. We are adults and we can maybe, I don't know, can, can get over that. Anyway, I'm not a, not a fan of all these rules and things. So that's why we do that, right? Just uh, to be safe as a family at the moment, can legally stay. And I don't have to expose our child all these, these things, you know? So that's, that's the point. And if it would be not here with COVID, I would not do that, to be honest. I would also stay with Panama. And Paraguay is also very, I have also uh, in Paraguay my residency, very easy to get their residency. You know, you uh, pay there also roundabout. You have Talk us through Paraguay a little bit, because that is another place that comes on the radar quite a bit. Paraguay, I don't have the uh, exact, I think it was 26.5 million Paraguay Guarani. So I think you have to, I think you have to keep 26.5 um, Paraguay Guarani, uh, 0.6 million Guarani in a, in a, in a account with a um, Banco Nacional or with a central bank in, in Paraguay. 
uh, on your name, and uh, it's around about four four thousand dollars or something like that, right? And um, then during this process to apply, uh, it's the only thing what you need uh, with your papers you need, right? Like a birth certificate and these things, and police record. And um, with that, you just go to some authorities in Asuncion, for example, to give your fingerprints and everything. Then your application process is done. You know, you can also do that in one week in, in Paraguay or two weeks. So it's very easy. We have also a partner there um, in, in Paraguay to do that in Asuncion. After that, you just wait and your deposit at the Banco Nacional has to be kept as long as your residency is not approved. Once it's approved, so that's what I like more in Panama, that you can just open the bank account, you can just put this 5,000 US dollar, you can withdraw it directly after that you have this bank letter or a statement, you can pay with that the lawyer to get this uh, friendly nations visa, for example. And um, in Paraguay, you have to you have to keep this money in Guarani in this, uh, in this account there. And I didn't withdraw it yet, you know, and it's, I think, two and a half years ago, I made it, you know, get my residence in Paraguay. And I mean, also the Guarani completely devalued, devalued um, over that time, you know? So, I mean, I don't know, I think I, in the past I had to deposit nearly 5,000 US dollar. Now it's 3,900 or something like that. So I lost already on that investment, you know, with deposit. Because <laughs> I've thought about popping down because I'm in the South of Brazil right now in Florianopolis. And I think it's in episode one, three, two, a couple of weeks ago, where I talked about entering to, into Brazil. And I'm doing my Brazilian permanent residency here right now. But I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'll pop down to Paraguay or to Uruguay and try to get one of those residencies as well. So it's kind of interesting to hear your insight at this time about that as well. So too funny. Yeah, I mean, you can go to this, to this big uh, waterfall, Iguazu waterfall. And uh, there, it's usually very easy to enter uh, Paraguay. I heard that they not really test the people there. So you can just like hop there over border. Once you are a um, Paraguay resident, you can anyway enter Paraguay. Uh, that was my last information I got without be tested. So you don't need to prove and, and test. But you, once you arrive, you are, I think you have to do in the first three days a test then there to prove that you are negative. Yeah, so... It's a possibility to to enter the country at the moment for sure and to make this residency. Amazing, amazing. So, and just a, to finish up Panama, just a very quick point. Yeah, in 2020, we had some pretty strict lockdowns. Thank goodness the country is open now. Basically, if you want to, the full explanation, go listen to those two episodes I mentioned before, on one on Costa Rica and one on Brazil, the solo episodes I did last week. I talk about exiting Panama and re-entering Panama, but very quickly, you just do a rapid test at the airport. It's $50. It takes about 30 minutes. It's pretty, pretty easy. But otherwise, the country is open at the moment. Thank goodness. Uh, hopefully, no more lockdowns ever, ever, ever again. So that's my last kind of points on Panama. On Mexico, I have a lot of friends that have been going in and out of Mexico. I went to Mexico during the pandemic, but that was last year. I haven't been following what's really been going on besides the fact that they're open. Do you have any additional insights on that? Um, not really, to be honest, because I haven't been there yet. Um, I just can tell you what I saw from the people or what they're talking to me, my friends who are currently there. Most people right now, they are in Tulum or Playa de Carmen, for example. And uh, they are, it looks like everything is relatively relaxed. They don't have really measurements. There's still party going on. Everything is open. Uh, you don't need to have a negative uh, test to enter or you don't need a PCR test to enter at all. Um, you also don't need quarantine. That's easy going. And a lot of people really flock at the moment there and go there. 
yeah, lives there. I think um, Costa Rica is for most people still, um, it's, I think it's more expensive to, to live in Costa Rica, to be honest. And then it's also unique with what we was talking about with insurance. That's for a lot of people already like a no-go and they don't find a solution because nobody wants to pay for one month $900 or something like that in a local insurance. No doubt. It's crazy. Yep. And, and if you don't know this, for example, with what I said to you with the seven corners and with, with a deductible, most people don't want to pay that, you know. So that's, I think, why a lot of people right now go to Mexico. You can stay there depending on what nationality you are, but um, a lot of nationalities, they get uh, six months visas there. So you can stay there basically a half year. After that, you can go to another country, like Guatemala, or you can fly to Costa Rica, right, or whatever where you want to go and make a visa run and um, then come back if the rules still the same right so we don't know what will be in future <laughs> that's a big problem exactly exactly well just to kind of wrap up i mean the main countries that i know that are open at the moment are mexico that we just said brazil is certainly open i'm in brazil today it is wide open you're in costa rica it's wide open you mentioned tunisia no in tanzania earlier I think that they were quite open. I had a couple of friends who were traveling through Tanzania and they said it was basically like they just denied that coronavirus even existed. But I heard that there's been some mysterious death of the president there and now everything is changing very quickly. I'm no conspiracy theorist, but it does seem a little bit bizarre that it was one of the most open countries in the world. They said that COVID doesn't exist, and then suddenly he just drops dead or disappears just out of nowhere. So that's a little bit bizarre. It's a very strange uh, story, and um, I um, saw the same, what, what you are saying right now. And um, we have to see what uh, how will um, Tanzania developing now. I mean, it would be very obvious, you know, if they just uh, from one day to another now make a lockdown and restrict everything just because the presidency uh, changed, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Any other countries that you have seen that people should keep an eye on that look like they're a little bit more open than others? Sweden was always on people's radar, but I think that that's kind of changed on foreigners' access to the country. Yeah, and then I heard that there was uh, a couple of other places, Bulgaria, I think it was, that was a little bit open as well. But those are kind of, those are the only places out of 193 countries that I've heard that, you know, are accepting tourists, that don't have strict lockdowns, that you're able to come and go without rigorous testing or quarantines. Yeah, any any other of other countries that people should pay attention to? Yes. So these countries we was already mentioned, I think these are the most easygoing countries at the moment and most liberal and open countries during that time. Then there's for sure some other countries. Um, I can talk about that a little bit later. But uh, what I want to say where I would not go at the moment, to be honest, you know, because uh, there's maybe also interesting where you should not go. Uh, for me, it's completely, completely Europe. Um, I'm really not happy what's happening in Europe. I'm from Germany. I see so many developings, uh, developments taking place there. I was not imagine. I mean, when I left 2016 Germany and when I compared now what is happening there, um, it's completely crazy. And I really I'm happy that I'm not um, right now there. I'm a little bit concerned about my family for sure. And I hope that they maybe get out there uh, if they want that. You know, it's everybody has his free will and his free decision can always tell them you know come here to costa rica or mexico you know you'll find a way but uh, everybody can decide for himself but i would not personally personally i would not go right now to to europe 
um, not especially to Central Europe because they are really crazy with all the measurements and they really take care of all these things and they are really draconian rules um, and the police, they come, you know, and they try to catch you or whatever, you know, so it's it's really crazy. What I heard from a lot of people where it's also relatively relaxed at the moment, but sure, you have to be tested is um, UAE. So United Arab Emirates. So a lot of people right now stay in Dubai, for example. And I mean, this is also a person, uh, a very good um, country for your personal strategy. Um, if you want to be completely tax-free with, with this free zone there, with the companies uh, completely tax-free and also on personal taxation level, there is no taxation. So they have like some VAT, but um, I think 5%, but that's it. And it's like really a country where you can legally live tax-free if you are not have a citizenship-based taxation like a US citizen. And uh, if you opt out, out of your home country and you're a non-resident, a non-tax resident anymore. Well, absolutely. I lived in Abu Dhabi for eight years. People ask, why did you live in the Middle East? I mean, you just hit the nail on the head, Sergio. I mean, those are the reasons why. My, my wife was in the Middle East for nine years. I was there for eight years. And I mean, tax-free. It's not territorial taxes. They don't have a tax system. I mean, they just implemented a 5% VAT a couple of years ago. And that was at the very tail end of my stay there. And as for your point about Central Europe and what's happening with your family, it is the exact same thing. I left Canada in the year 2000. I mean, I never would have thought Canada had gone the way that it has. It has gone so socialist. It's just crazy. And I talked to my father last week. He's in southwestern Ontario. They are on complete lockdowns, 100%. You're not allowed to leave your house. You leave your house, the police can question you for any reason. Why are you on the street? That is unbelievable. I said to him, why don't you come to Brazil? Come, come hang out with us in Brazil. Uh, my second child is going to be born. You know, you can be there for your, son, your grandson's birth. I mean, come on, it's, it's completely open. We'll figure it out. He said, no, 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 I've been watching the news. You know, they've got this new strain of COVID there and it's very, very dangerous. Oh my God, I look out the window. It's like COVID doesn't exist here. The kids are playing soccer. People are playing volleyball. All the malls are open. Nobody's worried about any of these types of things. And we've had to go in and out of the hospitals because of my wife's pregnant. We haven't seen any of these types of things that they're talking about on CNN or trying to bash. I swear it's to try to give this area a bad look so that they make themselves look better and more responsible and what they're doing is so necessary. But who would have thought Germany, Canada, the United States, these countries just go into complete lockdown? Absolutely mental. Yes. And they really take away your basic rights, you know, in Germany, they take away the people's basic rights. And now they're talking about that, that maybe, you know, they give you back some basic rights once you are vaccinated. I mean, this is a completely different topic. We don't have to deep, uh, deep dive into that. But I mean, I mean, how somebody can give you back basic rights, you know, it's basic rights. <laughs> it's like, and it's really so uh, crazy, to be honest, uh, to see all these things, you know. And I, I hope everything will be turned turned around and turned good in the end, and uh, we will not anymore have this this craziness around the world. But at the moment, I don't have a a good um, view for the future for Europe, um, and also like what you said in Canada, it's um, it's really crazy and it's not not good at all. Yeah, it's really sad. I mean, I just never imagined it would ever get this bad. But that's why I think the the work that you do is so important in helping a lot of your European clients, a lot of the work that I do, helping a lot of the American and Canadian clients to find more freedom and to understand 
what is out there. Because as far as any of us know, we have a certain amount of time on planet Earth. And now a lot of people have completely lost, you know, a year, a year and a half of their life. I mean, that's brutal. I mean, you'll never, ever get that time back. But what you can do is after listening to this episode, make a decision. Is that what you want for the next year of your life? Or do you want to go out there and actually seek freedom? Do you actually want to actively pursue it? Because I think that you should. I mean, don't waste this time of your life. You're never, ever going to get it back. But on that note, Sergio, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed today's conversation. We explored a ton of different places. Super amazing. Such a smart guy. Um, if my listeners want to find out more about you, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to check out your blog, where can we send them? Yeah, so unfortunately, my uh, biggest blog, it's only in German available. It's uh, goodbymetrics.com. I started an English web page. The name is internationalizednow.com. And, um, but to be honest, uh, we have so much work to do over the last uh, months in the German field that I was not really continue that work. But maybe in future I will um, yeah, uh, do it again and we'll work on that. Um, but yeah, this is my English webpage. I published there already a few articles, especially about Georgia, for example, and these topics we was talking about. Amazing. And if anybody is listening today, want to get a hold of Sergio or want to put in place some of the things for Georgia or some of the places that we spoke about today, you can always reach out to me at expatmoneyshow.com. And I don't mind making a personal introduction so that you guys can uh, do some work together. Okay. I think this is, uh, this is the best way that the people directly contact you and you will just forward it to me. I think that, that will be the best. Perfect. Sergio, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you so much. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.